Where do you start when you've never created a video ad before or scaled your existing video production? You start with QuickFrame by Mountain. Their platform takes the efficiency and diversity of massive creator marketplaces and redefines it through a highly curated network of video creators with the expertise you need to bring your ad campaigns to life. From onboarding and production to final delivery, QuickFrame's dedicated customer success team will be there every step of the way, keeping your project on track and on budget. What CMO doesn't love to hear that? Visit QuickFrame.com and get started today. Speaking with 30,000 consumers, world-renowned futurists, academics, authors, and experts, we've charted the long-term consumer trends shaping the next decade. In this episode, recorded at Advertising Week LATAM last fall, you'll see how transformation we've seen so far in the 2020s is merely the springboard for an even faster pace tomorrow. Learn how brands are expected to invent the future instead of playing catch up with it. We hope you enjoy this episode. How is everyone doing this morning? Good? Uh, not good enough. How's everyone doing this morning? All right. We're going to talk about the future today. Um, I think across Advertising Week, there's a lot of talk about the trends that are happening today, the things that brands have to think about in this moment going into 2023. But what I want to do today is take us into the future and talk about the big sticky challenges that come with approaching the next decade. What is 2030 going to look like? And how do we start preparing ourselves for what that environment and what brands must do? Now at Dentsu, we are very excited about always thinking about what's next. What's coming around the corner and what are the future trends that are shaping brands, creativity, technology, and ultimately the experiences that our consumers are going to have with us in the next 10, 20, 30 years. So we wanted to take this challenge and really think about what it meant today. How do we start preparing ourselves for the future by focusing on what consumers think the future is going to look like? So we went out into the world, across the globe, and we talked to 30,000 consumers and 20 experts about their views on what tomorrow might look like. We asked them questions about how they buy, how they shop, how they see themselves, and ultimately what they believe they need from marketers. And at the end of the day, we came away with 12 trends and four forces that we believe are going to dictate what consumers want from brands in the world. So 30,000 consumers and a whole bunch of experts. Now, the experts that we talked to weren't just advertising and marketing experts. They were science fiction authors. They were venture capitalists. They were people that were investing in technology companies and D2C brands, really to understand the people that were trying to drive the future, both in business, but also the people that were writing movies and books about what they foresee the future to be, because entertainment will always impact how consumers believe the future might look. So there are four key trends that we're going to talk about today. And we're going to go through each one and talk about the forces that are impacting brands. The first is around universal activism and what it means to be a consumer. The second is all around synthetic society and our relationship with technology. The third is about bigger and bolder brands and the role of brands in the future. And then we're going to bring it home at the end and talk about what it means to be human and the importance of humanity into the future. All right. So that's our plan for today. We're going to talk about a lot, and let's get into it. Universal activism, this is the first theme that we believe is going to shape the next decade. 
And if we think about the 2010s, last decade, we think it was all about trying to meet consumer needs. How does a brand fulfill on what the consumer needs? Now, we believe in 2020s, leading up to 2030, our job is going to actually be to redefine what it means to be a consumer. How do we think about all the new ranges of influences in the world that are impacting our consumers and what it means for them to show up in the world? If you think about the climate change protests that were, that were showcased by Greta Thunberg, if you think about the Black Lives Matter movement, if you think about the COVID-19 pandemic, the challenges and the issues that our consumers are facing are like never before. Consumers punish brands if they don't show up right, and they vote with their wallets if they believe that a brand shows up in the world the right way. So first we started to look at what consumers actually believe in themselves and how the identity of who they are as human beings might change. And interestingly, we saw that nearly two-thirds of consumers believe that by 2030, the way that we talk about consumers in age and gender and race is going to be redundant. They're going to start to see themselves in a post-demographic world where their beliefs and what they do on a daily basis is going to matter more to them than who they are demographically. And this becomes very interesting because as you think about the world of social media, you can be, get very worried about what people say about each other and how they judge them based on how they look or their age or where they grew up. And in 2019, right, we saw Instagram launch AI-powered technology to help make sure that we're not saying anything offensive. By 2030, we expect that every social media platform will have AI built in that will alert consumers and brands to saying something that might not be fundamentally right to what a modern consumer wants to hear. We also see that people are going to care more about that the city that they live in rather than the country. And we see this trend moving back where younger people are wanting to move to urban centers because that's where they believe that culture is going to be. So we see a world where city identity rivals that of national identity in the future. So that's about the consumer themselves. But let's think about some of the issues and the topics that they care about. Climate change is at the forefront of every conversation that we had with consumers and experts. And our research captures the growing importance of climate change in the conversation with consumers today. We wanted to look at what that meant to consumers. And nearly 70% of consumers said that they believe that a company's reputation will actually depend on how they react to the climate change crisis. They want to see action and mitigation by brands by 2030, and they're going to decide the brands that they associate themselves with based on how they react to climate change. And you see this taking shape already. You see brands like Procter & Gamble uh, making very strong waves, getting to almost 100% renewable energy by 2030. You see investment firms like BlackRock saying that they're no longer going to invest in fossil fuels because they want to believe in more sustainable capitalism. And so people are taking steps to be greener in what they do because it's good for the planet, yes, but consumers are also demanding it. And so one of our experts here actually says this new model of sustainable capitalism is going to come out in the future where we might see things like new stock markets appear that are measured based on more than just financial success, but how brands show up in the world in fighting climate change. Interestingly, though, the actions that companies take is not enough. If we want to reach our goals for climate change and protecting the planet, consumers have to make the tough decisions themselves. Whether it's what you buy at the grocery store or the vehicle that you buy to drive on the street, it's how we influence consumer behavior that's going to matter most for 2030. And so we saw these lifestyle shifts start to drive change where nearly half of consumers say that by 2030 they believe that eating red meat 
could be perceived as, in, as environmentally harmful as fossil fuels. And so they're thinking about the things that they buy, what they put into their bodies is going to be very different in 10 years than it is today. And then, of course, privacy. Our consumers talked a lot about privacy and what it means to them to be spied on by companies or just being given the right value exchange for their data. So for brands, this means throwing out the rulebook of what we think about using data today to make sure that we're giving the right value back to consumers. Because 70% of consumers almost said that they're afraid that by 2030, they're going to have less control of their data. And 80% say all that they want is more control. So as companies and brands, we need to figure out how to get the value exchange right so that people continue to give us their data and opt into our messaging. Because we see these interesting trends coming. One is about personal data assistance. Every brand and every company and every social platform has so much data on our consumers that there's now companies emerging that help consumers manage the complexity of their data. So they can hire a company or subscribe to a platform that helps them decide what they want to opt in and opt out of. And if we don't get this right, we see this other trend emerging by 2030 called privacy islands, where consumers are just going to say, no more. I want to opt out of everything. And that hurts us because we're not able to give them the personalization and the right messaging that they so very rightly demand from brands today. So for every one of our trends, we have what's called the pathway to 2030 where we think about the things that might get us to where we'll be at the end of the decade. You think about maybe in 2023, a digital data ethics council could launch in the UN. Maybe in 2024, the EU is going to roll out a meat tax across all member states. If you think about the 2026, maybe it will be a human right to select the gender that you want to be. In 2027, a new global sustainability stock exchange could launch all the way up to 2030, where residency and permits to work is more based on the city that you live in and the city that you work in than the nation. And so while some of these topics might seem far-fetched, we see year over year over year, small changes might get us to those big, those big shifts quickly. So that's trend number one, all about universal activism and thinking about our consumer as more of an activist than actually someone that just buys from us. The second trend is exciting because it's about our, our relationship with technology, and we call that synthetic society. If you think about the 2010s, last decade, it was about how do we use technology to help our everyday, right? Dial into meetings and make our lives a little bit easier. The 2020s are going to change what it means to have technology help us. So this image up here, it's, a, it's an exoskeleton. You remember in the movies when people would put on the metal and it would help them to, um, to do things that were superhuman? This is uh, an exoskeleton built by a company called Autoblock. And it's meant to help construction workers actually do heavy lifting. Not the heavy lifting that we do in our industry to market brands, but the heavy lifting with raw materials. And so these are the types of technologies we believe are going to come very fast and quickly across lots of different um, industries. And at the same time, imagine you could, before your next job interview or your next meeting with a client or with an agency, implant a chip in the back of your brain to, la to land the perfect answer to that question. There's companies right now that are working on helping brain-computer interfaces teach you things. Like in the Matrix, when they used to plug into the back of their head and they could learn to fly a helicopter. Interestingly, there's companies like Neuralink, which is actually invested in by Elon Musk, who are testing right now how brain-computer interfaces could be tested on humans by 2025. So there's people actively investing in these new technologies, both physically but also mentally. 
And so we asked consumers, what does this mean to you? And one third of consumers would actually consider having a brain chip interface implanted in their brain by 2030 to improve their physical senses, to improve their life expectancy, or to learn new skills. So consumers are getting ready and thinking about this and actually saying they might be willing to. And so in the future, might this become something that's available to all? Could everyone have the right to have a basic human upgrade where microchips or mental health surgery are given to, given to our customers to help them upskill their, upskill their brain, but also help them live better, more easier lives? Pretty weird to think about. But let's bring this down to earth, right? It's not just about brain-computer interfaces. It's also about our relationship with entertainment with sports. If we think about the pandemic, we stopped going to sporting events. We stopped socializing together like this. We relied on technology. Esports and gaming was the biggest buzz of the pandemic because people were able to get excited about their sports teams or excited about entertainment without having to go out in unsafe places. Now, interestingly, still 70% of consumers say they're not yet quite ready to go into big stadiums or to go to big events. Right? So what does that mean? Well, it means that esports and gaming and metaverse are taking control. Nearly half of the consumers we talked to reported enjoying watching esports just as much as they do watching live sports. So it begs the question, how do brands get involved in esports in a bigger way, build experiences in gaming, because that's where our consumers are going to. And the interesting part about technology is it's not all going to be rapidly about chips in our brains or things that we put on our body. We look at automobiles and the heads-up displays that are coming in most modern vehicles. That is part of technology helping us to be smarter. We think about some of the augmented fashion with smart glasses or smart headphones that are helping us give us directions or helping us see new things. These are just making us feel more comfortable with technology being part of our everyday life and not just something that when we look at our phone or sit down at our computer. We also wanted to understand of what this means with an aging population, because the, as the population of the world grows, what does that mean for how we take care of our loved ones? Can technology help us take care of our elder population and keep them on track as they grow older? And so we started to see, you remember those movies where robots were taking care of children? What would the reality be if we said, would you allow a robot or an AI to take care of an elderly relative unsupervised? And by 2030, a third of consumers said that that would be okay, right? that they would believe in technology to help take care of the people that they love. So as more risk and physical encounters could happen with things like pandemics, how can we rely on technology to take care of the people that we love? Very interesting and very exciting because people will be able to use technology not to just take care of people, but also to feel the emotion of tomorrow and also feel the emotion of love. And again, we start to see these things happening already. These are two really interesting companies. On the left-hand side, a company called Be My Eyes, people that have hard of sight. If they're shopping or if they're going to try and find things on shelves, they can hold up their phone and it will help them understand what they're looking at. And if, they, if the AI can't decide for them, they can connect to a volunteer who will allow them to get the information that they need to make a decision. Right? Or on the right-hand side, LEQ. This is an interesting little device. It's not a robot yet, but it's meant for more elderly individuals to give them questions, to prompt their cognitive skills, to help them answer questions about the weather and what they have to do today. So the technologies that we're already seeing today 
are proof as to why consumers might believe that they'll feel more comfortable in the future allowing things like robot and AI to take care of their elderly loved ones. So for synthetic society, again, we look at our roadmap to 2030, right? So in 2021, we already saw those exoskeletons introduced to assist people with physical disabilities. If we think about 2024, could we have the first successful implant of a brain-computer chip to help treat a human brain disorder, right? We think about maybe 2028, the FIFA eWorld Cup is the most watched sporting event in the world, and by 2030 is that basic upgrade where everyone is able to enhance their, their, their mental cognitive skills in a unique and different way. So lots of implications, but if we track year over year, it might just be possible, right? All right, trend number three. This one is all about bigger, bolder brands, and I think very important for this audience here today as we think about what does it mean to be a brand, and if the first two themes speak to how consumers will change as a result of innovation, this third theme looks at consumer behavior in terms of what do brands need to do to show up differently in the world. So imagine for a second, you don't have to close your eyes, but imagine a world where you have an intimate relationship with just one brand, just one company, and they serve every need that you have as a consumer, how you shop, how you stay healthy, how you keep entertained, how you travel, Everything is connected with one seamless platform that delivers unparalleled utility, right? So your, your smart assistant might hear you cough, and all of a sudden, it orders personalized medicines from the, from the pharmacy. It arrives at your house the next day. You don't waste time researching anymore because this brand knows you so well and is connected to all of your devices. This may sound a little scary, but brands are only gonna go where consumers lead them, right? If we start to think about the types of services that consumers want from brands, they want more, and brands wanna give consumers what they need. So we started to understand what this meant. One third of consumers said that by 2030, they would consider using only one brand for all of their lifestyle needs, shopping, healthcare, financial services, only one brand. And we asked the same question just about e-commerce, Right? One, would you be willing to use one e-commerce brand for all of your online shopping? That jumped to 88%. Right? It makes sense, because you think about some of the companies, as an example, who are already doing this. Amazon is a great example of this snowball effect. This is a chart that shows consumers' comfort levels to buy another category of products every time they buy another category. And it's not just things like, um, like, like CPG. It's automotive, it's a mortgage, it's prescriptions. The more you buy from one company, the more you feel comfortable buying and spending more with that same company. And so we have to think of ourselves as, as brands, how much do we want to offer? Who do we want to partner with? And how do we want to become indispensable to consumers? And so we're starting to see the rise of titan brands like Amazon, who are known for just creating such an easy, seamless, frictionless experience that delivers on more than just one product. And so we start to see more and more of this happening as we approach 2030. The other interesting trend, though, that we saw was that consumers believe that brands now have a mandate to use the technology that they're giving us to help them predict and plan for their health and their healthcare, right? We think about Apple Watches. We think about Google's new headphones that can take your temperature while you're listening to music. 
it changes the relationship that we have with companies like Apple and Google because we depend on them for our health. We depend on them to understand how many calories we burn, how many steps we've taken, if our temperature is too high. So the dependence on brands and the dependence on technology is, 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 is allowing consumers to say, I expect to use technology over the next decade to predict my physical health. And that relationship actually kind of comes back to us as brands to take that mandate head on. So this begs two questions, right? For us as brands, what is the type of consumer that we want? If we're going to focus on meeting as many lifestyle needs for a consumer as we can, how do we start thinking about the ideal consumer? And if we think back to the first trend about universal activism, it forces us to rethink our segmentation. It forces us to say, if I had to rate, make a five-star consumer, the person that I want that I could fulfill as many of their needs as possible, what would they look like? What would they want to buy? Beyond just the products I sell, what are the services that they need? Beyond just the services that I offer, what are the products that they buy? And how can I start to deliver more than just my core offering? Because this is what they're thinking about in the future. But at the same time, it also allows us to say, do I like that consumer? Right? It gives brands a little bit more power. The more we sell, the more we can actually go to a consumer and say, I don't want to sell to you anymore because you're not respecting my product or you've talked badly about me on social media, or you aren't ex exhibiting the traits that I believe is my five-star consumer. And if you remember that episode of Black Mirror where um, the woman is, is being ranked five stars every single time, every interaction, well, brands are already ranking us, right? If we get out of an Uber, we rank the driver out of five stars, and they rank us. If we leave an Airbnb room, we rank the stay out of five, and they rank us. And so the ability for us to get premium services from brands is already something that consumers expect. And you could see in the future how all brands might start ranking their consumers out of five. There's a bank in the UK, as an example, that the more you give to the community, if you answer questions, if you talk on social media, if you open more accounts, you get ranked and you get access to better products. Right? So it also might beg the question, could there be companies that refuse to sell to, companies that don't, to consumers that don't have the right rankings? And it's interesting, because oftentimes we start to see these types of trends start in Asia and then come over into the Western world. And China is a great example where they already launched a social credit system with government where the government is ranking them based on their contributions to society on how we might be ranked in the access to services that you might get from the government. And so if people feel comfortable with, with doing it with government, we see brands being a very trusted next step as one step further to 2030. So we think it might become standard practice, not just a Black Mirror episode. Now, the thing to be careful about, of course, is regulation. We don't want brands to get too big because we want consumers to have choice. And at the same time, we want innovation in categories. We want there to be competition so that we get better innovation for customers. And so Ben Evans is saying we just have to be careful because regulation tends to be backward looking, where things got too big and now we have to regulate them. So what are the things that we need to think about to protect brands from not being, from not being crushed by Titan brands, but also to protect consumers to give them the right type of choice in the future leading up to 2030? So again, we look at our pathway to 2030, and we start to look at, in 2020, the social credit system was rolled out in China as a beta. 
right? In 2022, we saw global brands launching test and trace and vaccination kits to prepare for future pandemics. We already see consumers appreciating brands' role in healthcare. But maybe in 2024, Supreme is the first global brand to refuse to sell to anyone with less than 100,000 followers because they've defined their five-star influencer community. Right? Maybe in 2027, Tesla launches a new car that has pathogen detection in it so that you might know if you have a virus or if you have a cough. And by 2030, maybe Big Tech introduces a service so that anyone can rank and rate their five-star customer back and forth. Again, it's plausible that if we take these steps, the relationships that brands and consumers have in the future will fundamentally change. All right, so that was a lot about technology. That was a lot about change. Our fourth topic is actually the breath that we all want to take right now. It's the fact that we're all human. And we saw as much as consumers expected technology to change and the relationships with brands to change, they also really wanted to just be human. And we saw this trend of remembering that we need these moments of humanity, of coming together, of not being connected with technology in a really nice way. And so if in the 2010s, we were trying to figure out how to like digitize our processes and our business plans so that we could communicate uh, through digital channels, we think the next decade will have a reminder to everyone of what it means to be human and stay offline a little bit. Right, if we think about the pandemic, it allowed us time to get back to things that we loved, like cooking, like playing sports, like playing guitar, and remembering our pastimes as maybe children of what it meant to just live a little bit of an easier life. And so we saw this trend of what we call purposeful play, where 70% of consumers agreed that the pandemic actually increased their interest in the good times. Right? Sustainable pastimes, because they were feeling burnt out. They were feeling everything had an objective, and all they wanted was objective, free play. Right? You think about Lego as a great example. They launched a whole set of Lego sets called Lego Forma, specifically dedicated to just letting adults get back to playing with toys, because it was an exciting moment for people to re-engage with the nostalgia of their lives, because this is what we looked at. Right? We'd be hanging out with our friends, or we'd be hanging out with our families, and we'd be on the phone or we'd be working. And it got to a point where we were so connected with technology that we sometimes had to remember to ourselves that we're people, and that we need moments of downtime, that we need just to be human. And so we saw that nearly half of consumers today are intending to just take a break from technology, just to stop. And whether it's one hour, or one day, or one month, we see this trend increasing where consumers are just going to want to shut down completely. They're going to want to spend time on entertainment, on playing with friends and family, and on making sure that they're just not connected so that they can be in the moment. And at the same time, it's also shown us that they're, th they're thirsting for authentic interactions. Too much technology is making people worried. 40% of teenagers today are worried that what they read online or what they see on social media is just made up. It's, a, it's fake news, or it's a deep fake, or it's a bot. And so they're craving just authentic experiences that remind them what it means to be human. So again, our pathway to 2030 in what we call the human dividend, right? we saw in 2021 governments beginning to impose fines on companies that didn't curb manipulated media and information. This year, in 2022, we saw some companies shifting toward a four-day work week because people just needed a break. Right? Maybe in 2024, we're seeing public schools including human skills as part of the curriculum, not just learning how to code, but of what it means to be human again. 
Maybe we see in 2027 the inaugural burst the filter campaign, right? Where it's not about the Instagram filter. It's not about putting a, a, a face over humanity, but appreciating ourselves for what we are today. Or my favorite in 2030, thinking about the premiumness of humanity, maybe we will see made by humans stamped on products and people would be willing to pay more for products and services that are powered by and made by humans. And so this final trend makes me feel good that as much as there's technology and as much as the relationship between brands is changing in a big way, people still want to be human and they want to remember that humanity is very important to the interactions that they have with each other and with the brands that they buy. So here were our four themes. We started by talking about universal activism, then we went to synthetic society, bigger, bolder brands, and the human dividend. And if we summarize, we talked about the importance of climate change, data privacy, and new identities of what it means to be a consumer. We then talked about that relationship with technology and the enhancements that we could have to our bodies, but importantly, the virtual experiences that are already happening today that are paving the way to the future, and then, of course, how technology will enable us to do things better, faster, and smarter. We then talked about force three, which was about thinking about that Amazon effect, right? Bigger, bolder brands and the rise of the Titan brand. The cross-sector health focus of people's health and wellness. And of course, rating consumers and rating brands back and forth to get to that five star. And then we finished with talking about humanity and the human dividend. Purposeful play, that real life play and interaction with people, and that thirst for authenticity that will matter. These are the trends and these are the forces that we believe will take consumers from where they are today to where we as an industry but as a society are going next. And so if I was to summarize and conclude with one slide, there's five key things to think about. Identity. As we go into the next few years, who is our consumer? And not just about their males 18 to 35, but what do they love? What do they do? What are they passionate about? And how do they start to make decisions based on those passions? We have to think about inequality. We have to think about the fact that as technology increases, not everyone is going to be able to afford it. Some will have and some won't have. So how do brands give access to more services and more technology to more people? We have to remember that brands are ranked the number one most trusted, number one most trusted part of society right now, even more than government in most countries. People trust brands, and we have the ability to influence society in such a unique way with the products, the services, and the interactions that we give to our customers. Remembering the importance of integrity, that consumers trust and want real-life interactions, authentic experiences, and they trust brands to give us that integrity in how they come to market. And most importantly, integration. No one can go at this alone whether it's working with partners, whether it's collaborating across industries, or even within your own company, designing for the consumer of 2030 takes more than just marketing. It takes more than just product development, and it takes more than just finance to get something done. How do people come together inside companies, in industries, and across industries to develop a better world for our consumers? So that's our view into the future. That's how we've been looking around the corner to 2030 to find the trends that are shaping tomorrow to give us the insights that help us plan better for 2023 and 2024. If you want to learn more about all of the research I just presented, you can go to this website right here and you can download all of the stats and all of the details so that you can spend time learning about it, researching it, and talking about it with your teams. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you.
thanks for listening. For more podcasts like this one, be sure to check out Advertising Week's growing B2B content audio network at www.advertisingweek.com slash podcasts. Not every company can produce original video ads in half the time and at a fraction of the cost of traditional commercials, but not every company is QuickFrame by Mountain. Their solution hacks the video production process, funneling all the benefits of a massive creator marketplace into a hand-selected network of video creators who work alongside customer success teams to bring your brand's vision to life. Producing high-performing video ads at scale isn't expensive and time-consuming anymore. Or at least it isn't with QuickFrame. Visit quickframe.com to learn more.